I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. This week, I'm speaking to illustrator and paper bird artist, Zach McLaughlin, founder of Paper and Wood. Zach creates beautiful, realistic birds using only paper, scissors and his meticulous painting skills, creating art commissions for all bird lovers. He even made a masterpiece for none other than Sir David Attenborough himself. Zach has now also started to use his skills to create larger scale installations for flagship stores such as Joe Malone and Patek Philippe. I discovered Zach's work many years back when I received one of his birds as a present and still today it is the most precious gift I've ever been given. This love for what Zach creates and his story inspired us in the early days of Holly & Co and it's why we have a hummingbird in our Holly & Co logo. I made Zach tea in my kitchen and we chatted about how to make a living doing what you love. Overcoming the struggles of being a working artist and facing up to his experience of abuse as a child and channeling this into creative inspiration that ultimately set him free. Well, this is rather exciting. We finally meet Zach. As you know, I've been such a big fan of yours for a while now. I think I came across um, you back in 2015 and couldn't quite believe how beautiful your work was. Being now the biggest bird lover ever, I was lucky enough to receive one of your hummingbirds as a special present from my husband. Um, It's pride of place. I know we've spoken about it this morning. And it's on the table where we gather as a family and we constantly talk about it. And I would say it's probably the most special gift I was ever given. So you being here for me is just a real moment in time for me. And I just wanted to thank you. And I knew you had to be on this podcast. Wow. What an introduction. Thank you so much. That's that's really sweet. (laughs) I'm really honoured. So really excited to talk to you today. Very excited. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Tell me, why do you have such a love of birds and where does this come from? Um, I think my love of birds generally, it comes from love of nature. Uh, It's not isolated just to birds, but the birds for me are something that symbolise freedom and escape, I guess. It's that thing as I've learnt as I've gone gone on, why I'm drawn to certain things. But nature is my main inspiration and kind of being outdoors and, I don't know, noting the details, looking for the birds, looking for whatever's out there. And being absorbed by it really kind of, I don't know what it is. It's an escape. It's, I, I can't explain it very well, but um, it's my escape. It's my go-to. And so would you say that nature is your biggest inspiration? Yeah, nature's everything. It's kind of, um, I think you can't beat nature. You can do your best to try and bring out those details and make people aware of them and kind of um, bring them to the forefront. And I just love getting lost in nature. You never get bored by it. There's so much out there. If you want, If you're willing to look for it, it's kind of, you can find a really boring pile of leaves, dig through it. You're going to find something that's fascinating within there. It's just having that, I don't know, uh, exploration in, in your brain and trying to get out there and just play, really. I like being a kid. I'm a big kid. Did you? Did it all start when you were a kid, yeah. this sort of exploring nature? Yeah, I was out, out in, the, in the field, in the garden all the time, just, yeah, just running around, doing whatever, just getting lost in things, getting myself covered in mud searching for things and I still do it now <laughs> I kind of drive my girlfriend mad every time I'm going to walk it's like pointing things out she's like oh god not again I'm like look at that look at that look at that look at that it's like, just, just calm down I'm like no look, 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 look. Oh. I just get really really enthusiastic about it 
I'm not sure if you know this, actually, but the hummingbird became our totem at Holly & Co. It was the inspiration actually behind our logo. It has a hummingbird just flying out of the words Holly & Co. Yes, I love that logo. And it it symbolised creativity, following your passion, you know, doing what you love for a living. Well, we haven't met, but when we virtually met, I asked you if you would appear in our Holly & Co. advert, I suppose, something to tell people what we were doing. And you so generously told us your story on how you came about to build the business that you have today. I'm wondering if you would share that again with why making paper birds became your life. It it was very organic. I think everything I do is driven by passion. It's not really driven by my head at all. Um, I never think beforehand. And the birds came organically from my children's book illustrations. I do my own little children's book in which a little boy, kind of based on me, is dealing with abuse in the home. And to escape where he is, he crafts himself a paper bird lantern out of old books and willow sticks. And this bird lantern becomes emotionally attached to him and it's something that he flies off on. I couldn't visualise this this bird lantern at all. I find it really hard to draw it. It just didn't look right. So no past experience, I just decided I was going to make it. I was going to make this big paper bird lantern and... Uh, yeah use it as a prop to draw from and it took me like three months to stitch together this thing out of big willow sticks and uh, this old book a nice yellowed paper and all the text on it and i wanted to make it something that i could light and put into situ so in a wood or wherever i had the idea for the illustration and light it and have that photograph for reference to paint from and that sparked something when i'd made this 3d thing from my head which was there but i just couldn't illustrate it to have it in the physical space and to look on all angles. I'm used to painting stuff on 2D and trying to make it look 3D, but you can never see the other side. So say you can see it from one side, you kind of want to know what's behind there. I'm trying to give the illusion there is something behind there, but there never is in a 2D illustration. But to have something physical in your hands that you've made, it really excited something. It kind of got me thinking about, I don't know, uh, a new world, kind of a new experience for me. And my obsession with nature and detail, which my paintings had, just got reignited, if you like, into 3D, and I just kept on playing. So this paper, you can actually see through the first bird lantern, my progression of paper cuts from the tail where I start the bird to the head. And you can see how I've figured out how to scissor the feathers to look more and more realistic and to get finer details within there. And by the time I got to the head, I got my sort of, which I've cut thousands now, but that process in order... And then, yeah, I wanted to make more and more realistic interpretations of birds. And because it started with a bird and I cut feathers, it seemed to work really well. And that that's where sort of the bird thing came from, the paper, was I'd figured something out and I don't know why it just took over. And from there I played with trying to make it... This is where my head worked a little bit, trying to make it commercially viable a little bit. So trying to think about how it could go into people's homes rather than just making a random thing you've got to think about how to display. I thought about it in a taxidermy kind of way. So you've got wall lights, birds holding lights in their feet and things like that, or in bell jars. But my kind of obsession with detail just took over and I kept on trying to make it more realistic and then it takes longer to make. So that's when my brain switched off again and I just didn't think about commercial viability at all. I was just thinking about wanting to make what I want to make and trying to do my best and do... Yeah, I don't know. I love nature and I want to do it some justice. You can never beat it, but... I think, I don't know, I've always said nature deserves attention to detail and I kind of, I love to just create. So that's it. I've just kept on making and it's kind of expanded and grown and I've been really lucky with lots of things, um, like meeting yourself and all that sort of stuff. It's kind of, you know, all these lovely interactions you get from doing what you love and doing what you do. It's amazing what comes around from that. It's just, I don't know, just opens so many paths. And I think having your head down, enjoying it, people will kind of come and see it. Internet obviously helps with all that. Before internet, I don't know what I'd have done. <laughs> Been lost in a little hole somewhere. I agree. Thank goodness for the internet, yeah, hey? It really helps. <laughs> it's an incredible story. It's a very powerful one. I think what inspired me the most is the bravery that it took to tell it, to use that power of that story to move forward. And from your hardest experiences, which we won't delve into, but where you've alluded to where this has come from. Yeah. You've turned that into a beautiful art, into birds that are loved and marvelled. 
Actually, the older I get, the more I realise that sharing your story is actually a key to healing. And um, I love quotes such as, it's not a weakness, it's our greatest measure of courage. Mm. And I truly believe it. It's courage. And and talking about courage and and listening to you, uh, it reminds me of one of my favourite posts when you appeared to be most vulnerable on Instagram and when you think about social media and how superficial it can be and so surface level your honesty and also the illustration that was attached to this post stood out you wrote does anyone else have one of those projects that's been with you since the very start and yet you've never quite finished it this has been with me for so many years now I just can't seem to get it to a level where I'm satisfied. Without it, though, my paper birds would never have existed. It's a children's book in which a little boy is held captive by a monster. He fashions his own escape by making a paper bird lantern from old books and willow sticks. Once ignited by his emotions, he flies off in it through many landscapes, enabling him to face his fears. In doing so, he finds himself. One day I'll finish this book and hopefully in doing so, lay my own fears to rest. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a, it's a long, I don't know, it's, it's something I wrote actually in my third year of university. Um, it's a very early version, but it's a children's book. So that's when I first realised I wanted to do children's book illustration. Um, and as my final degree project, really, to create this book. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've written a rough edit of it, which, which I've made a little book of, and I've illustrated most of the pages within it. But it's something I've gone back to so many times over the years now to try and play with and tinker with and I'm not quite happy with certain bits of it and the ending I'm still struggling with and things like that. But it's all in my head and it's forever growing and it's something that I really feel like I need to get out. It's one of those um, journey things. And I think, as you say, it's kind of that healing process. It's that thing you have to get out to draw a line on something and move on. What is that message that you want to get across? What, why is this book so important to you? I think uh, self-belief is kind of one of the big ones. Um, but also, you're not alone. It's kind of other people go through these things. And I think childhood can be very lonely for a lot of, a lot of people out there. The kind of people can relate things back to their childhood. Different, you know, varying degrees of loneliness or, you know, even abuse and things like that that have happened. I think if you can try and encapsulate that and tell them it's all right... It's going to be all right. It can be all right. There's things that you can override. There's things that you can experience. But it's to know that there is a flip side to these deep emotions that can get hammered home into you. And I think this book, I, I'm trying to figure out how to do that as I go. And my, my problem is I get too elaborate and I want to put too much into it. Because a children's book has, you know, doesn't have to be, but usually it's a bit quite shorter than, or a bit shorter than you'd like it to be. And I think there's too much to get across in such a small amount of pages. So it's it's something that's always growing. But I just yeah, I don't want them to be feel alone. I want to know there is a way of overcoming these things. As you said, it's a really important message. And I think through your craft, through your arts, you've shown that you yourself, you've come through this. You are a living example of someone who has come through this. And you want to give back to those who might be suffering at the moment or in the future, that these things are possible, that there is light that you can draw on your your past and and give hope to other people. And also, exactly. your illustrations are breathtaking. Oh, I thanks. mean, unbelievable. <sighs> so I think your birds are amazing. And then you look through your illustrations and it is, you know, thanks. you're a phenomenal illustrator. Phenomenal. Thank you very much. And... It feels like that book is a really important one. And I remember I wrote to you after we did that video and I was highly emotional because I felt that you were so courageous in sharing. Thank you. So um, let's go back to when you realised your passion lay in making birds. You studied illustration at Westminster University. What did you do after university and how... Did you start making money from your passion? What were those first steps? Yeah, so um, as I said, I did illustration at university. And uh, I was very lucky, actually, because my third year, I started working my children's book. Um, and the end of year project was to display this book and the illustrations within it at your end of year show. 
as ever, I've never got a plan. So I didn't know what I was going to do afterwards. Really, I was going to be an agent or just walk around my portfolio and try and get some interest. But very luckily, there was someone at the show from um, Dorling Kindersley Publishers um, who actually uh, worked at University of Westminster, or her husband did, sorry. And she saw my work, and that kind of sparked uh, inspiration for her to get me in to work on some ideas they were having for books. So I was really lucky with a break there. Um, and after a few didn't take off, there's kind of these, the process of they come to me with an idea, I do illustrations, they take it away, pitch the book. And lots of them didn't happen. It's getting to the point where it's like, oh, that's never going to happen. But then luckily one did, one took off. It's called How People Lived. And it's this sort of um, journey through civilizations, um, right back from cavemen up to present day. But it's really detailed, massive spreads with thousands of people and you know, everything within the civilization within that picture. It nearly killed me, actually. I, had, oh, I can imagine. Yeah, three months to do 26 spreads. And yeah, I was up all night working, working really, really hard. Um, but I was passionate. I really wanted to make it work because it was kind of it was really exciting and it was going to be published. I had a definite deadline and all this sort of stuff. It's kind of the real working world straight away. I was thrown into it, but I, I did revel in it. I loved it. I was exhausted at the end of it, but to see a published book come out was was pretty incredible. Um, and then that opened the doors for me to get an agent, you know, to um, do more books. And it kind of I was very lucky for that period, really. Uh, and then as time went on. I think that success started to go a bit wayward just because of my painterly style. I'm such a traditionalist and I love the quality you get from doing everything by hand. I think you can never replicate that with machine or with computer or whatever. So as things went a bit more digital and uh, authors, uh, sorry, publishers wanted to speed things up, I was slowing it down. And because I was slowing it down, I was costing more money. So that didn't help. Um, so that's kind of why I went back to my own children's book and was trying to just get through that because it's sort of the struggle I think always pushes you to do other things to try and make something work somewhere because you have to survive don't you you have to try and make the bread and especially in London it's expensive um, so yeah that, that I suppose it was kind of blessing disguise by pushing me in a direction to work on my old, old book again which then led to the birds so I think things do happen for a reason there's that universal thing of just being pushed in certain directions you don't realize at the time but you look back and go wow okay that's why that happened for a reason yeah that's, that's why where, where i am now and i've heard i mean you talk about how hard it was i've heard um you write about living off 16p noodles <laughs> yeah how did that form you and you know living off 16p noodles hard right so yeah. it got really hard is that right I as many a time it's got hard. It's kind of it's a real roller coaster, I think, because you, I don't know, you get a lucky break like at the start of leaving university, and it's a well paid project, big publisher, um, and you're riding the the roller coaster high. But then there's a big dip that can come, and you kind of get used to that level of income. I think that's it, and you can kind of sit on your laurels a bit, and then you, I think you need the dip to get you off your ass again and get you, you know, into the working mentality again and to spark something. But the 16p noodle time is really tough. It's not glamorous. There's nothing fun about it. It's it's hard. It's uh, it's emotionally draining. You know, it, it's it's, yeah, it's very difficult. How do you stay creative in, in those moments? In those 16p noodle yeah. dips. I think That's I'm bloody minded them now. I think. Yeah, 16p noodle dips. I think I'm just bloody minded. I think uh, I love I love what I do. I think part of it actually is always from a child until now, art has been my escape. So if something's not going well, I can escape life by shoving my head in my art, just creating something and forgetting those worries exist. But I think that escapism and maybe that drive to make something out of nothing propels me further. It kind of, whenever I'm low on money, I feel more driven. Whenever I've got money, I relax a bit and think, okay, it's okay now. And it's trying to find that balance between the two where you can get a constant flow of money that's just enough, but you're comfortable and you're happy. Um, I think I'm slowly leveling out, slowly, but there's always dips and there's always, you know, there's always going to be struggles. Um, but I've had so many years of it, I'm kind of used to it. It's been interesting working with so many small businesses and understanding that actually a lack of funds, however painful, does drive creativity so struggling artists though and making a living doing what they love 
um, you're a shining example, but you're saying it's still not easy. No. What would you, advice would you give to another person on that journey? Is there something that you wish you hadn't done or had done? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a really difficult question because I'm a weird bag of fish because I, I kind of I, I don't like to be preached to and I don't like to preach to others. I think the journey of finding out yourself is so important to get the results you don't realise are going to be there. So, of course, if I look back and go, I should have saved that money or I should have done this or I could have invested in something else or there are moments where, yes, you could do financial things better and also, you know, take certain opportunities a bit more seriously, maybe, uh, rather than pursuing your, your dream projects or putting time into something you shouldn't have put time into. But at the time, it's impossible to know. I think just don't, don't stop believing in yourself. Just, I think, as long as you're passionate about what you're doing and you know it's in a direction that something's going to come out of it, not just blindly doing it, believe in yourself and put everything you can into it. You know, don't hold back. I wanted to interrupt this podcast with a Holly & Co. independent party message to launch my yearly campaign to implore you all to shop independent this Christmas. For over 15 years now, I've encouraged consumers to buy handmade or shop independent from a small British business. And I've decided that this will be my mission for the rest of my career. You see, it is such a passion of mine because I see firsthand where your money goes. Your money doesn't go into buying a CEO's super yacht or even into someone's city portfolio. It doesn't go into making the richest man in the world even richer. No, when you shop small, I've had the pleasure of watching exactly where it goes. Small homemade kitchen table startups or small independents on the high street take their profits that you create and turn that hard-earned money into a mortgage payment or a dance lesson for their little ones, a new studio to expand their business. I've seen their precious earnings help a sickly relative, create the ability to buy a first home or maybe even that holiday that they could never have taken if it wasn't for your loyalty. Your money changes real people's lives because every time you spend your money with a small business, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want to live in. So let's support real people by shopping small. Let's put our money where our hearts are. Let's shop independent this Christmas. To find out how you can get involved, head to at Holly Tucker on Instagram. You can also use the hashtag Campaign Shop Independent or come and visit me at the Holly & Co. Campaign Headquarters where you can join the creative campaigning and help spread this important message far and wide. Thank you all for listening. I've noticed that those who follow their passion, their absolute life force within them mm. um, for what they want to do, the money actually follows. It does. Um, and those who start to question how realistic is it or listen to negative naysayers. And I cannot bear it when um, people start to question a business idea because what I feel is that we should just be so encouraging of yeah. someone. And I hear people that are brave going, you know, well, I'm going to quit my day job. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to follow my passion. And people just sort of respond. And maybe it's because they don't know what to say, but they, you know, what's your business plan then? How are you exactly, going to yeah. make money? And I suppose that's where my love and what I want to try and do is just what you said, change people's attitudes and Let's cheerlead people on and it's going to be blinking hard mm. anyway. You yeah. know what? That, that journey that they're about to embark on is not one. It's 16 blue noodles, lightly. isn't I it? Know, so, yeah. you know, if they're willing to be that brave, we've got to encourage them to do it. I love that. Um, that's great. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what they need. It's, you know, the negativity. I think usually the negativity comes from a place that maybe of jealousy of the person. Maybe, you know, someone they've probably got an idea they'd really love to do, but they haven't got the... I don't know, the nerve to do it. 
And I think being negative about someone else's idea can come from that place sometimes. I've encountered that in the past where someone was like, well, what are you doing that for? You make paper birds. It's kind of, it's a bit of a ridiculous thing. But I can see something in them that they want to do something themselves, but they, they can't quite get there. So they'll just take it out on you and they quash you to make themselves even better. It sounds like a horrible negative thing, but I can see it all the time. And it, I think... Do you experience it yeah. quite a bit? Yeah, you do. Because it's a weird, I think the bird actually is quite symbolic, isn't it? Yeah. Of a piece of art that, yes, that someone might say, I and mean, you say, well, you do this for a living. Exactly, yeah. I get that a lot. It's kind of you, what you make money out of this. You kind of, this is your full-time job. Okay, yes, it is, yeah. But it's, I've always find it hard to describe what I do as well. If, if I was illustrating children's books, it's quite easy description and people get it straight away. But to say I make paper sculptures or paper birds, they can seem instantly go, oh. Really? And how think, do you answer? I have to show them pictures. I think that's the only way of really answering it. They have a, have trouble sort of envisaging it. They probably think like some sort of origami bird or something folded and displayed. And they can't really see why you'd want that. Tell me something. What's been your favourite bird to make so far? I've always wanted to ask you that. <laughs> and and why? My favourite bird so far? Um, I think one of my favourites actually has been one of the most recent ones I made, which is, I've never heard of it before, before I got commissioned to make it, which is a, a blue crown trogon, um, which is an amazingly beautiful, colourful bird. And it's quite a, a big size and it creates some challenges along with it. But I get this question quite a lot. Uh, and I always kind of say the same. It's always something most recent I've made. And generally that is because I love the challenge of something new. I love to research something new and I love to draw out the blueprints for something new. And in my head, realize how I'm going to lift that off the page then and create the 3D representation of that bird. And I love, the, I love that challenge. I love a whole new commission. If you get in the same commission again and again, you get into this sort of bit of a rhythm. You lose the passion a little bit for that bird, which I hate because I still love the bird and it's still a beautiful thing. But to remake something again and again and again can obviously always get, you know, it gets yes, repetitive. Yeah, yeah. So I think a new, a new bird is always something that really excites me and so... The most recent one for me has been my favourite so far, just for that reason, really. Oh, amazing. I'm going to have to research this. I'm, I say I'm bird obsessed, but I, I don't I'd never know. heard of it before, so don't Okay, worry. good. Yeah, Thank no. goodness. Um, and what's the furthest your birds have flown? Is, is it right to say that they've actually gone all the way to China? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've had uh, Hong Kong, uh, China, Australia, America. They've been all over the world, really. It's, it's quite exciting to know that they've sort of flown and got there safely, which is another big one. Yeah, I was That's going to say, that just... packaging must have been... Uh... Everyone takes a nick at me in the studio because I will spend a good day sometimes packing something. Uh, wow. Ma like, making the box from scratch. And I, if it's, say, a life-size owl or something, I'll have it inside a box, suspended on wires so nothing touches the edges. And this this whole kind of an operation it's almost like engineering so i'm trying to make it so it will literally won't touch any size or get bashed or you know damaged in any way and it gets there in one piece but everyone takes a mick at me because i just i'm a bit too obsessed with it but i think i have to be in a way I have to be it's yeah. that yes oh my goodness i hadn't even really um appreciated yes i know how delicate they are mm. so actually shipping one of these beautiful creations know, must be um you know you know someone's gonna be heavy-handed along the way so you've got to try and prepare for that you can't just put it in a box and that'll be fine it's yeah. got to be it's not going to be fine no um you you just spoke about your co-working space is it important for your creativity that community that you have and what are the highs and lows of sharing a co-working space yeah so um my co-working space at the moment is, is brilliant it's actually um one of the nicest spaces i've worked in throughout my whole career so far uh, I've worked in my own bedroom. I've worked in basements. I've no natural light at all. To this space, which has got lots of natural light, it's really big, and I share with there's about 13 of us in total, all different backgrounds: architecture, uh, graphic design, illustration, photography, sign painting, which is fantastic. It's it's so nice to be in that hub, and everyone's doing something. Something's always being created. There's always people to chat to because I have been in spaces where it's quite lonely, and I think more often than not, the loneliness isn't very good for you. It's kind of very isolating and you just become I don't know very very uh introverted and a bit awkward <laughs> so <laughs> and when I realized that you cut every feather by hand yeah and again we're on a podcast I can't see quite a big chap quite tall <laughs> burly not fat <laughs> tall joking, and lovely 
Um, but you cut these feathers that are half the size of my small fingers' nail. Oh, yeah, it's silly, isn't it? It is unbelievable. How many feathers do you think you must have cut by now? Oh, God. Uh, it's got to be... Rough estimate. Hundreds of thousands, I think. Oh it's going to be a lot. A lot. Because, uh, you know, a small hummingbird will take 300 to 400 feathers. I made so many of those. And then you go up to big life-size birds and they've got... You know, thousands of feathers within one one bird so yeah so many and then you know there are projects where i've done say three or four thousand large feathers within a, a flowing wall of feathers for a window display and things like that and that has then eight days and it nearly killed my hand to be honest i have had a bit of rsi now and again from the constant <laughs> scissor action um yeah it's kind of I've, it's a silly silly amount of feathers really but i don't know there's something very therapeutic about it i think it's that um repetitive nature but also each feather becomes a brand new little bit of art for me to create it's kind of that i want that feather to be perfect i don't want to rush it and i don't want to you know just bodge it and stick it on there because i'll notice that that one isn't quite right so i want every feather to have its own bit of artistry and to be just perfect you know so it must take hours yeah, well, so I'm hummingbird. getting quite quick now at feathers now. So what would a hummingbird take? How long would that take to make? Yeah, a hummingbird probably takes me 60 hours upwards, really, full. So carving the body, cutting all the feathers and then painting. It's quite a long time. It's just, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> and a conversation a lot that we have in the office, and I've actually had, I suppose, my whole career now is hand versus machine. Yeah. Um, and what you can scale and actually now, as I go on my journey, what you sort of can't scale yeah. and shouldn't be scaled, what you can give to a machine to make versus what needs a human touch and the soul to be embedded into that object. Yeah. Would you ever machine cut your feathers? And, and would you ever delegate the feathers? Or what's your thoughts when you think about scaling or growing your business? Yes, I... I I get this question quite a lot as well because people go, you're, you're a fool, you're hand-cutting all these feathers, why get a machine to do it? Can't a laser cut do that? Or, you know, other machines and stuff? Or can't you get like a hole punch that's going to give you feathers and that sort of thing? Um, and obviously I do think about growth and trying to make things faster. Um, and I have actually hired people in in the past to help me out. So say I had to make 14 hummingbirds in a week. No way I could do that by myself. So I got someone in to help, and they'd cut all the shapes for me, and then I actually trained them well enough to get the feathers feathered, so I could use them. There were some I have to go back and do myself again, but then that's just me being a perfectionist and I want to get it just right. But I think that's another element of why I don't do that. It's because I'm a perfectionist. And the feathers, it sounds really weird, but I could definitely get the shapes cut themselves, just the kind of basic feather shape. And I have thought about doing that either laser cutting or you can get these uh, die cutting machines as well. But the actual feathering itself, which I do with the scissors, which is the labor intensive bit, you get this lovely curl to every cut because of the way the scissors cross, which at the end gives the whole feather a lovely shape to it. Whereas if you use a, uh, a scalpel or a laser cutter did it or anything else, it's a very straight mechanical line and the paper stays flat. There's no shape to that feather. And I think the texture adds everything and it's that illusion you're giving that it's not paper it's something else you have to look closer at it and see what it's made of because everything has its own life to it whereas i think a machine would kill that spirit and kind of life i guess i'm trying to put into it so until they create a machine that can do that i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean it's exactly where that conversation has to be had because yeah. what you've just described for those who don't know you you know, they've just learned something about what goes into a single feather that's, you know, millimetres tall. Mm. And that you're saying one of your sculptures has 300 or 400 of these. Yeah. And that's not to mention the beaks and the wings and, you know, everything yeah. that goes into it. And that is what you pay for, you know, mm. and that is why you're buying a piece of art. But it's it's something that I'm very passionate about. Obviously, when I founded Not in the High Street bringing handmade and soul of small business to everybody, yeah. you know, curating from farmers markets and village halls and independent lanes and housing those creations on the internet, making you understand that this isn't just your normal everyday product. 
And it makes me think of a quote. When buying handmade, you're buying more than just an object. You're buying hundreds of hours of failures and experimentation. You're buying days, weeks, months of frustrations and moments of pure joy. You aren't just buying a thing. You're buying a piece of heart, part of a soul, a moment of someone's life. Most importantly, you're buying an artist more time to do something they're passionate about. And that's perfect. Isn't it? And, And it just baffles me sometimes. And it's something that I've dealt with my career is when one thinks that someone should be swapping out hand for machine. And why do we want that? And yeah. is it because we want to just pay less? Is I that think, what we're going it, for? It, I think it is part of it. But you won't have that design. You won't have that curl of the feather. No. You won't have that enjoyment that, you know, every dinner party I have, I talk about your bird because there it sits and it's part <sighs> of our conversation. And, yeah. and that is what I pay for. I buy part of your soul that has gone into that bird. And mm. is this something that you come up against as well in terms of... Yeah. How have you gone about pricing your art? And is that something that I think people would find that really interesting because you're making a living yes. being an artist, but you need to make a living. That's it, yeah. It's it's a tough one. And it's been the hardest part about it, I think, is um, pricing your own work. It's seeing value in what you do. And that's really tough because you see the mistakes and you see what went wrong and kind of, I don't know it instantly makes makes it worth less but there's also the it's a really hard thing because if you're not making any money you can't live so you need to just to make the bare minimum it means you price your stuff at the bare minimum just to get that money in just to sell it because you think if it's any higher no one's going to buy it but then they do have to pay for your time as well so there's this constant battle in my head of what my art's worth uh what i think i'd pay for it and whether I can get it to the right market to sell it at that price. Because um, now I don't charge anyone enough still. It's kind of, if I look at my hourly rate, it's terrible. It is terrible. Those hours that go into all the work, way below minimum wage. <laughs> you kind of think it on that scale. But then, as you say, trying to get across to someone how much work goes into this piece, someone just looks at it and goes, oh, it's a paper bird. They don't think every feather's hand cut and stuck in place and it takes all that time and every feather individual the whole piece is individual it's one of a kind it's that sort of thing that I find really hard to get across um, to get the worth behind it um, so there's a constant battle there I'm always I am I, I have learned to gently raise prices occasionally but there's always the worry with that quiet period when you do that and nothing comes in you think uh oh what have I done too high do I need to bring it back down to try and get garner more sales but then you think, no, because just, I need just to hold, live. Yeah, I need to live and pay the rent and pay the bills and eat not 16p noodles, but decent meals. And yeah, it's a constant battle. And is that why, because I noticed now you run events, you, you yes. run wire bird making classes. Is this a way of broadening out your creativity? It's another string to your bow in terms of your business and now offering experiences. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, so the uh, workshops, again, they weren't my idea. Again, my business head didn't come in. Someone, I started making the wire birds, say, which I do the classes for. Um, but I really like the look of the wire things on their own, uh, the skeletons. So I started making those as pieces and selling them. Also as a quicker th- thing to make. And then people were asking how I made them. As I think people do on social media, they kind of, they get inspired by something and they want to make it. They want to have a go themselves. Um, and then someone just said, why don't you do workshops? And kind of thought, oh, yeah, why don't I? Not my thought, not my idea. <laughs> not clever enough for that. I just I thought, oh, okay, let's have a go. And I did one and it sold out and it went really well. And I really enjoyed meeting the people and sharing the skills with them. And yes, it's another area now of my business that helps me pay the bills. And, you know, um, I'm lucky enough to sell tickets for them and I meet lovely people. But it's actually turned into something that I love to do. I actually love to share what I do and kind of, I'm not someone that holds on to it and goes, oh, no, I found this out. This is my thing. You can't do it. I like the fact that someone can come along and I can teach them. It makes me feel, uh, it makes me feel I don't know, a bit of pride when they walk away with this little thing they made and they're really happy with it. And they've got a new skill and they can make something else the same way. And they can, uh, even with the paper birds, and they make the paper birds, it's that, it's a full day. 
and you can see them going through this this journey that I went through. You kind of you cut a few, you get excited, then you cut a hundred, and you're a bit tired, and <laughs> you get a bit of disillusioned. Oh no, I've got to keep going. But they get to the end of it, and they're really happy what they made, and it's that pride you see on their face. And you get people that come in and go, I can't do anything, I'm not creative. But everyone leaves with something. Everyone has their own stamp on it. It's their own creative stamp. And they wouldn't, yeah, they wouldn't have done that if they hadn't come to my class. So I do like that aspect. Um, I'm not business-minded in the slightest, but <laughs> it does help pay the pay the bills. And you, and you mentioned this sort of like, it's not your idea and you're not business-minded. But yet you are running what others would find an incredibly difficult business to run right yeah. you, you you are making a living as an artist but you don't plan you've mentioned that do you visualize do you see where you'd like to be in the future and where you believe you might get to yeah I think um my business mind and my artist mind I feel are quite different and I feel like it's been such a long period and a struggle and my work is so labor intensive i never have a headspace to think about where i'd like to be or what i want to do and it's only recently that I have had certain projects that come along that open up my eyes to different areas i can move in or ways i could make it i don't know uh, more of a business for me things like doing window displays and bigger installations and things like that whereby i could have a side business where I've got people working for me. So I say I do the designs and then they make it for me and then we install it so I can still get on with the birds and the things I love. That's my main thing. So there's, there's aspects like that I kind of do start to think about, like little side projects that become hopefully nice big projects. Because I love, I love the design. I love the installation of big window displays and uh, something about scale. I love scale. I love filling a space with things and immersing someone in a world you've created. I, I really love the idea of that. I love it myself when I walk into a space and uh, it's just full of something someone's made. You just get totally lost in it. I look at all the details and how it's made and you get inspired. And I think those sort of things that have driven me in the past couple of years to think much more about that rather than my head in the sand just making what I want to make. It kind of, in a way, kind of wastes more time. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of <laughs> keeps my head in the sand for longer so I can just make it as detailed as I can, yeah. just keep going. Because yeah. when my head's out, I get a bit scared. It's kind of that, what now? Uh-oh. It's that realisation of there's no direction to what you're doing. It's just you're doing something you love. So now I'm realising that I do need that direction. And there's things like I'd love my own shop space that I could fill with birds. Like, you know, there's amazing taxidermy shops. I don't, I'm not a big fan of taxidermy. I think a bit creepy. But there's something fascinating about walking into those places and just seeing this wall of colour and textures and horrible glassy eyes looking at you. But... That kind of lovely fascination you get when you walk in. I'd love to create something like that, like a space people can come in and just experience that world you've created. And yeah, buy pieces if they want to. But it's that there are these dreams there. Um, making them happen is something I struggle with sometimes because I'm not, as I say, I'm not business minded. I'm you keep saying creative. that, but I do think that um, you're on your way. When I make a plan, I I like to think about where you want to get to see yourself in it and then actually just work backwards what are those steps in order to get there right not in a sort of um you have to do one two three in this order but more a feel you know you definitely need to head right not left right yeah. you know so that just so that your compass can just keep tailing you the right way to go yeah. and if you actually when we think about small businesses starting up all your decisions give you a direction mm. so let's say you take on investment at some point that investor will need to realize their investment of course which will mean that you will need to grow your business to a stage where you can give that money back yes it's all those sorts of things that i think if we don't plan and you can look at life with just sort of opportunities that you should take actually just knowing why am I doing this? Yeah. It's one of those things that I feel sometimes we get caught up in planning, thinking it's a list of a total coordinates. And actually, it's just knowing what the end goal is. Right. And then just having this pinpoint now and a pinpoint in the future and trying to just 
keep heading in that direction. Yeah. Would you ever say you have goals? So you don't necessarily plan, but do you have good life goals? Not just revenue and what you'd like to earn, but are there goals that you want to achieve something for your soul or for your heart or you've always wanted to do something? Yeah, there's always dream projects that I'd like to fulfill, like with a book. I think because I've been struggling for so long, the life dreams don't materialize in my head. It's just a constant struggle to survive at that point. It's only now as I'm hitting 35, I think, uh-oh, I do need to start making plans. I'm not, I am a big kid. That's one of my big problems is kind of, I don't take things seriously. You do want things. Like I, you know, I'd love to have my own home. I'd love to create my own little world, have a family. And I want to be in the countryside, you know, it's that kind of, I want to have my own little idyllic spot in the world. And that doesn't happen by itself. You have to make it happen. Uh, and that happy place has to come from what you do. And as you say, you shape your path and you have to, you know, get there. And yeah, it's something I haven't, I don't think about enough. It's one of my stick your head in the sand sort of things again and just hope it happens. But I really have to pull my finger out and sort it out. <laughs> I'm really bad at it. I always use the analogy that running your small business is like being on a roller coaster. I think yeah. we've mentioned it today. What's been your proudest moment, your greatest high so far? I think one of my biggest highs is, is, is thanks to you, is um, my commission to make a bird that was presented to David Attenborough. I think that was unbelievable to see pictures of him holding the bird I'd made. And if it hadn't been for your connection, you know, very, you know... Yeah, I can't say thank you enough for that. It's kind of putting me forward for that opportunity. Yeah, he's, a, he's an absolute legend and a hero. He's, it, it's one of those things, actually, that still hasn't sunk in. It's one of those things that I, I've always kind of blocked things out. I'm very good at things haven't happened. I'm in a dreamlike state and just kind of drifting through a little bit. And something like that, you kind of have to sit back and go, hang on, just stop for a second and realise what has happened here. And yeah, I get, I've got the pictures back of him holding the bird that I put hours into and made and painted is there like playing with it and stuff it's amazing and that's a real high that's a real you know you can, you can proudly tell people about that and everyone has the same reaction of wow that's really cool and i don't, I don't know if you can get much better than that it's kind of that yeah ultimate ultimate goal and yeah thank you ultimate. so much for that oh gosh well <laughs> amazing of course i mean he's very lucky to have one of your birds and <laughs> and i can imagine you really can imagine he'll treasure it and that's what I absolutely I love. So. Yeah. He must have been given so many things over his career. I think he'll treasure that. You, you'll be so. pride of place in his home. And I, I just I absolutely Thanks. love that. And if we're on this roller coaster, what would you consider to be your lowest moment? My lowest moment? Oh, God. Um, I don't know. There's, there's been, there's, I mean, there's been some very dark moments where you get to the 16p noodle point and you think how am I going to pay this month's rent you know but then usually out of somewhere out of nowhere something comes and you're off again uh, yeah so there isn't one particular moment I don't think that I can point out that has been that moment but there has been many of those dips that you question everything you know those moments are really tough and we've talked about David there but what's been your most exciting customer one of the greatest ones actually was earlier this year was um installing a paper secret garden within Joe Malone London store on Regent Street um, this was absolutely incredible I loved every moment of that project and that was a total roller coaster that project as well because the budget would always change the you know our designs had to change things were always up and down but they're an amazing client to work for and they really they got our idea so I worked with a, my friend who's an architect and we went all out for it had 26 people working for us just and quite a lot of them were volunteers just wanted to be a part of it which was lovely and it was such a lovely team and it was so much energy and excitement and then an all night we had one night to install it all which was a crazy night but it was so rewarding and like as i said that installation and creating a space for someone to walk into and experience what you've created it was amazing and I, I loved that and it's it's that expansion that's got my head you know ticking and rolling about other opportunities i can make and great for portfolio and I think that one for me is yeah one of the the greatest ones yet because it's kind of the scale I've always wanted to go to um, and now I just want to get bigger it's kind of that thing I want to go bigger fill a bigger space <laughs> oh Zach I just can't thank you for your time enough mm, and you. your honesty and 
sharing those hard bits and those good times. I'm so glad we finally met. And me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, really? Lovely to meet you. But before we go, something I ask all my guests to prepare before the podcast is a note to your younger self. Yeah. I thought it was important on this podcast, Conversations of Inspiration, to allow those who I interview to actually take a second themselves and actually have to put pen to paper and think maybe of the lessons or what you've realised through the journey. So I hope you enjoyed taking that moment. But I did want to thank you before you shared that I know it's a part of your soul that you're going to read out. And thank you very much. And over to you. Thank you so much for everything as well. And uh, yeah, I'll read that now. <laughs> cool. Uh, to me, if I told you what I was doing now, you wouldn't believe me. To be honest, I still don't believe it now. Life this far has not been easy. You, I, we have been forced through our childhood, and those years are lost forever. We can't get them back, but you have so much ahead of you. Those experiences will make you stronger, will give you characteristics I am still finding now, but they are ones that benefit where we end up. I so want to tell you where we are now, but I don't want to shape or alter the journey, as I know it is a good one. You must figure it out for yourself. Never stop believing, always be inquisitive, and let passion drive you. This all sounds very vague and nondescript, but I honestly hate preaching. The last thing I want to do is preach to my younger self, to you. So besides giving you all the winning lottery numbers and sporting bets, I don't want to make you aware of what is truly important, something I lose sight of all the time, friends and family. They matter. Work can be all-encompassing, and you may really want to prove yourself, but never lose sight of the people who got you there. Through thick and thin, they have provided the support that will get you where you want to go, to this point right now. And I have too often left them behind. Don't make that mistake. They matter, and so do you. Everything that has happened is not your fault. Tell yourself that every day, and who knows, you may be in a better position than you are where I'm sitting. Keep going, champ. I believe in you. Thank you, Zach, for sharing that. And... Um yeah, you really do matter. I don't think you quite realise how um, much you're going to shape our worlds in the future. And I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader by your side. So thank, thank you, so you for today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank, thank, you. Really thank you. Thanks, Nat West, again for sponsoring this podcast. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering people in business. That's why they developed the NatWest Business Hub, which is full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals. Go to natwestbusinesshub.com to get started. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. I want as many people as possible to believe that they can build a business doing what they love. So could I ask a favour? If you like what you're listening to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come